All right, y'all recognize that voice, everybody, in that music? It's not just the voice, but it's the music. Can I say iconic? The word iconic iconic comes to mind. (laughs) It's the guitar playing, the, uh, the just, there's an element of anything that Aaron Sprinkle does that everybody feels like is noticeable somehow, that he has his own identity, whether he's producing it, singing on it, writing on it, guesting on it, and... That's what we have today. We have a guest, Aaron Sprinkle, on the show, and you're just hearing part of a new song of his that's completely unreleased and unavailable that nobody has oh, other yeah. than, you know, me and Aaron <laughs> Sprinkle and us here, and he's been yep. gracious enough to share it, so we're happy to we're have in. that, and he's on the show today, but also i got to tell you that today's show is sponsored by Brooklinen. Brooklinen is the perfect place to find all the comforts for your home, including ultra-soft towels. Get 10% off your first order by using the promo code BADCHRISTIAN at brooklinen.com. And also, Policy Genius. Today's show is sponsored by Policy Genius. Uh, Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies all in one place to help you find the best price. So if you're one of the many people looking to buy life insurance right now, head to policygenius.com. And the last thing I'll tell you is head to emorymusic.com and pre-order I'm Only a Man update on vinyl. If you haven't done that yet, go see the videos and the music we're working on week to week here. And uh, I think you want to pick up the vinyl. Other than that, check us out at, on Twitch. We do a show called Are You Listening? Emory Music's Twitch channel. Okay, Aaron, good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. I have a question immediately for Aaron, because you were talking about, we were saying iconic voice and all stuff. So my voice has all, you know, I'm I'm also a very popular singer. (laughs) I'm also also world-renowned for my vocals. Um, But my voice has always been like the one, like I got the solos and choir and all that stuff, but... I've often wondered, is my voice unique in the sense of it it stands out in a crowd? Like, my voice might possibly be the one that gets the solo in choir, but that's because it's it fits the most into the box. And Mm. Aaron's voice is like this. Uh, Tom Petty. I mean, Aaron's voice is better than Tom Petty's, but Tom Petty's voice is iconic. Bob Dylan's voice is iconic. Aaron's voice... Aaron... You know, uh, quality and tone is way better than those guys, in my opinion. But Aaron, when you were in high school, were you a singer? Did your voice stand out? Were you like the? Were people like, "Whoa, this guy's talented"? Did that happen to you? Well, first, I want to say thanks for those kind comparisons. I will point out one difference is that people have heard of the other people that you mentioned. <laughs> um, <laughs> people have heard of Bob Dylan and Tom Petty. Um, I didn't sing back then, really, at all. It was very much... I was embarrassed to sing in front of people until... I don't know. There was a song... There was this... My old band, Poor Old Lou, there was one song that I sang lead on, and it was, like, a really big deal for me. It was, like, a coming out for me. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of. Um, And it wasn't until after that band kind of dissolved, so I was in my 20s already, that I was kind of feeling comfortable enough to, like, front a a band or a project that was what Rose Blossom Punch started out was just a thing I did for a tooth and nail sampler. Um, And I just gave it a name because I didn't want to call it Aaron Sprinkle. Um, Right. But But then you just started releasing records under Aaron Sprinkle right after that, right? Yeah, right after that, um, 
in 98, yeah, 98, I got an offer from a label to do a solo record. Like, I wasn't thinking about doing a solo record. A label approached me and said, hey, we want to put an Aaron Sprinkle solo record out. And I was, like, really, like, thrown by the offer because it wasn't something I was considering doing. Um, but I did it anyway. And it ended up, like, Roswell Some Punch broke up kind of while I was making that record because of all this drama that happened personally within the band. With Rose cool. Blossom Punch? Yeah. It was just, you guys just hated each other? You turned no, this, there's just a crazy personal thing that happened in the relationships. Personal relation. I can't really talk about it still. After all these years, still, I really can't talk about after it. After all these years, is yeah. that, is that <laughs> it's not. It's not that Someone it's, died. Yeah. No. They will go to jail. Yeah. It, yeah. The yeah. statute of limitations has not yet. <laughs> but so so when you so you were just a guitar player then or songwriter you I mean yeah you, I was kind of like yeah I was I would say that I probably wrote probably you know it wrote the beginnings of most of probably m- more than fifty percent of the Pearl Lou songs were like of my starting you know and i'd oh every the the way that i wrote songs back then even as i always had to have a vocal melody in my head of some sort yeah. to write the the music but at that time i rarely ever shared that with anyone um I virtually never shared that with anyone so, so let's try to put some from that. for me this is the way i like to think mm-hmm. let's try to put some numbers on what are your different skill set that make up the Aaron Sprinkle music Ooh. machine? So yeah. what percentage are you a singer, a songwriter, an arranger, a composer, producer? How do you put what if you have a hundred percent to put in those categories, how do you like how do you do them? You have to do it. Um I don't know. I always say, I always tell people the only reason I learned how to do anything is because I wanted to have a finished song. Mm-hmm. Like, so does that uh, make you primarily a songwriter, and then the other stuff is functions of that? But yeah, but to me, production is part of the writing. So mm-hmm. when I say a finished song, I mean a recorded song, like mm-hmm. something that I could hand you and go listen to this, you know, over and over. So I learned to record. That, that's really I, interesting. I've never thought that in my life. I've I've always thought I'm a songwriter and zero care about production. Yeah. Like, so. I, I, yeah. Yeah, the the inspiration came early on as a very young child was the the package of a recorded song. Mm-hmm. Everything about it. And yeah. because it's all tugging at heartstrings to me. It's all part of um an experience, an emotional experience that can mm-hmm. be repeated over and over kind of Can like I can I ask drug. you there cuz that's I'm very interested in that, in that because I I encountered music the same way like the the total mm-hmm. I thought always thought previously of music at at the recording as the primary fundamental thing mm-hmm. that was to be arrived at and that was the piece of art was a recorded yeah. thing. But now I've shifted out of that in a way that I couldn't have seen before, which is maybe something that's more obvious to other people, being that I think that there are that is an emotional experience that is the product there. Mm-hmm. But also a live experience 
or uh, you know there there could be a whole other dimension of that live that is I always sell as secondary. Like you have to play mm-hmm. the songs that are on the CD or mm-hmm. something. But really. I've shifted it back into thinking that the the production is a capturing of of an experience that could, in theory, be had live. But when you're a kid and you have a Walkman, um, you, you're not even aware yeah, of that. I don't of know. That layer of I, I I I I've had immensely emotional spiritual experiences at performances before, uh-huh. but it's because of my deep connection to the record. Mm-hmm. They, they they it it wouldn't exist without it. Yeah. And the the record connection is so personal and mm-hmm. intimate, and like, especially as a young kid, the primary place that I listen to music, which is funny because I I virtually don't ever use headphones to listen to music as an adult. Like I, I actually kind of don't like it, but as a kid, that was pretty much the only way I listened to music was on my Walkman, mm-hmm. or you know, with my headphones plugged into my record player or whatever. And that's such a it's such an internalizing experience. You know, it's this thing that you, it's this thing you have. And I, and part of what I love, and I think part of why the performances are so emotional to me is because you're sort of sharing that with a big group of people. You're sharing that personal thing with all these yeah. other people. So mm-hmm. it's really beautiful and intense. But I've, I've been to concerts where I couldn't literally stop crying the entire concert. Like what once? When, like, 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 like at an Emory show? Yeah, but that's for a different reason. We can talk about that if you want, but that's for a totally different reason. Seeing you in the pit for walls, <laughs> yeah, it's made me cry. Sobbing and moshing was unbelievable. That's because I got I elbowed crying. in the eye. But yeah, <laughs> um, like I saw the Paul, the Paul McCartney tour in two thousand six or something like that, which was like his first tour that he played primarily Beatles songs, and it was just the most one of the most moving things I've ever experienced in my life. And in a way that could never be that way. I mean, obviously, it's mean, more meaningful because of the, you have all the layers there. So in a way, that's a that's a more ultimate experience than the recording itself, though, right? Like it's a transcendent experience at yeah. that point, not just but it, simply. But it wouldn't be personal. possible without yes, my okay. intimate knowledge and experience of the recordings. So, mm-hmm. and I, I don't. Um, sorry, I don't. Um, I don't think that the that the performances are necessarily secondary as far as importance goes. Just for me, the connection is deep. Like I've had amazing, I remember, you know, one of my all time biggest, most influential records is summer teeth by Wilco. And a friend of mine took me to that tour before I'd ever heard the band. Mm -hmm. And I, and when I listened to the album for the first time, I remembered parts of the songs from the out, from the show. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not saying that it's like, that there's like some, that, that one of them's more important than the other. It's just, that's usually the order that it goes in for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, to get back around to it, all of the skills that I've learned are just a utility for me to be able to create a finished song. Because when I, when I was a young kid and I heard the Beatles or I heard whatever music, I just wanted to know how to make the whole thing, mm-hmm. all of it. Uh, and... Because I remember it just just completely transporting me somewhere else, yeah. you know. And I thought if I could ever do that, that would be so cool. You know? So that's that's uh, I identify so much what you're saying, but from a slightly different point of view, um, which is slightly different than Toby. But that is 
No, I mean, it's, to me, it's really, really, this whole conversation is going to be fascinating to me just in the sense yeah. that you well, are I'm the, just sitting here picturing Aaron standing in the crowd and he hears, all right, guys, we're going to play Here Comes the Sun. And he just starts tearing, <laughs> just tears streaming down Aaron's face. <laughs> this next one's called Hey Jude. And Aaron's just, <laughs> the biggest eyes, slow cow tears falling down his face. I love that idea. Well, the, the thing... Um, that I really find about that that's the same to me is hearing music being a deeply personal experience and thinking I have to understand all of that was is the feeling yeah. that I had. Like all of the mm -hmm. things are in this recording from the composition to who the people are to what gear they use to how you record it. I'm going to have to figure all of that out was apparent mm -hmm. to me when I first listened to Nirvana. I just, yeah. I, you know, I knew I had to know right. everything about it. But it's separately from... Aaron, who has what I call the top-down approach, she needs the vocal melody, like he said, and then everything else is going to come yep. out of that. But for mm -hmm, me, right. it's just starting with the details of each thing and moving yeah. moving up from there. Which I think that's what, why we complemented each other so well when we worked together. Yeah, that's had, what I was going to say. We had the and Toby, same goal, but we were coming at it from literally opposite directions. Right. Yes, yes. So uh, you two guys represent the two people that I collaborate probably most with uh, in the world, and and part of that is a co-learning uh, yeah. experience is, is that I have with you two guys that is, there's so much that I already know, and then there's so much I'm so clueless about that you guys have such automatic senses for, and we're all obsessed with roughly the same thing, mm -hmm. yeah, which I would tie result. together as emotional impact in the end user. Mm -hmm. And so, so I just... I think that's the territory of of maybe this conversation and, and everything. Yeah. But let me see. The difference I, is, is I like good music. Yeah, you like difference. good music, yes. <laughs> like Wilco. <laughs> um, I guess I like Wilco just fine, but I find it a little boring. But Toby, when you're saying when you look at songs and stuff, you yeah. think of the song as just this abstract uh, piece of IP r r separate from its recording, or what? Well, I I just think about myself writing a song and. I, I don't think about the recording of it. I think about the exact moment when I hear it and it starts to come together. That feels like that's that's why I I suffer from the worst demoitis. Mm -hmm. Like when we get a first when we get a song written, it feels almost done to me because I don't know. I it's very hard for me. Like I feel like y'all both can see things where like you're gonna need. Uh, more dynamics and the drum beat's going to have to be a, a particular way or that you're going to have to record something a certain way or use this compressor or like there's all like Aaron was saying he he sees a broad picture I think you are that same way that just exhausts me and makes me feel so like I can't even go there like mm -hmm. I, I could never probably uh, to sit down and really record a song like to really learn how to make it sound right I don't know if I can. And that's because I don't, there's not a, I feel like y'all can come to a conclusion and I can't. Like with a song, I feel like either it's done immediately or it's never done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If that you, makes sense. Do you I, I know it sounds that, crazy, but. Do you think you're filling in the rest with potential? Like, oh, this song is, the idea is basically there and I don't want to actualize its potentialities at all. Like it's better and, left abstract or something. Like you let your mind think, fill in. I, well, well I guess here's what I was I would say. I probably live in the performance mm -hmm. world. Like so, I the performance so. of it matters probably more to me than uh, the recorded version. So the recorded version, you can't change it. 
But the live performance, you always can. It doesn't. You know, you could do anything. Mm-hmm. You could you could completely change it. That's what I do yes. on our on Are You Listening, our our, our internet TV show. Yeah. I I'll take any Emory song and play it any way I want, <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you, know, it, 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 you know what I mean? But but you cannot do that. So you guys know what you got to do. There's like a there is an actual path or a way to get things done the right way, and I can't fall into that because it it feels too intimidating to say okay it's done i, I can't even hardly see something that's done yeah like i Aaron see you saying, as a performer it, it, in that regard for sure i yeah. think that's the i think that's the best description of you um which is is good i mean that's and it really describes your career like you are always trying to get on air go live or do songs and stories tour play more yeah. shows and just go play a show and get paid and do all those things whereas aaron says and has been one of the most successful musicians to never tour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he's made a whole career out of being a producer and collaborating and writing and yeah. helping other people like you get those uh, those performers all the way to the finish line. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, and so well, also, y'all split I'll, in that exact sense. I would say this too. You two are probably two of the most people I trust with decision-making. Like, like for example, mm-hmm. when we recorded the question. Uh, Freddie Mercury, listening to Freddie Mercury, uh, that song, when we left the studio, the end of the song wasn't done. And Aaron said, I got it. And I was like, okay, does he? And then we were sitting in our van on tour and listening to the end of Freddie Mercury, the piano part, the real crazy, you know, the digital. The organ piano, and all that. Yeah, organ, cool. all that stuff. And I just, I was just like, he just, it, like it expressed me. Like he 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 didn't just do something cool musically, it captured what I was thinking, and I didn't I could I, I mean maybe we kind of told him the parameters or you know we told him what we were hoping for and all the stuff, yeah. but he just nailed it in such a way where I was like, oh my god, that was one of those beautiful now. things where I actually heard it and just had to figure out how to realize it. Like I heard it before mm-hmm. I put it. You know what I mean? It was like it it wasn't me like discovering it as much as it was me. <laughs> Like painting a picture I'd already seen or something like that. It was I remember that, and that's probably because of Toby's emotiveness. Just told you what it was supposed to be, so you correctly read what he was saying, and then was that's yeah, why I felt like I remember it was feeling him like I get what you're saying, and I'm gonna run with that a little bit, and I think you're gonna like it. I hope you're yeah. gonna like it. Like yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, but that you know the, those moments are, you know, not. All the time that doesn't happen all the time you know that's one that i remember too but that's really cool of you to say well it just I, blew I, me away because it was so funny because we had left and we were sitting in a it was probably like a grocery store parking lot in our van on tour and i was just like oh he just of course and i felt like it felt like i was speaking some language and you interpreted it perfectly <laughs> and awesome. then the song was great and it That's great. and it is great like it did work like it mm-hmm. and it took a lot i think and back i mean this is what i'm saying both of y'all matt's the same way i can send matt a demo and i feel like he understands and maybe that's i, I don't know i don't really mm-hmm. understand yeah. what that is i don't know how we all communicate that way and and because i feel like i'm so vague but somehow I'm laying down something that sparks enough for mm-hmm. you guys yep. to really go for it. The I mean, when you think about, yeah. I mean, not not that it was the most unbelievable part ever in the history of the world, but it's really cool that the end of the, uh, Freddie, Freddie Mercury mm-hmm. is is 
fucking the, amazing. The, the production is a very, very important part of right, of, right. Of that and, and being you captured a big, that and, song. Yeah. And Matt, Matt has done that so many times on so many, yeah. you know, songs that I've sent to him. And you've done that a, a bunch of times too, Aaron. And it's funny, like that communication. It really does feel for me like I, w- I wish I could say more. Cl- the, the, one of my biggest regrets in life is I couldn't tell y'all more clearly what to do. But in some ways. I guess I have to admit I'm happy because it gives y'all a little bit of freedom, mm-hmm. and I go, "Oh yeah, yeah," because I'm excited when I heard when I heard that it wasn't exactly what I was telling Aaron. Yeah. It was better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what's so cool about it. Huh. Yeah, the cool. ability to verbalize what you want is not really something anybody's good at, especially right. artistically. So you're better off to just get in the headspace and see if you can find a resonance with a person in in a, in a way that winds up feeling fruity in the end that's why all the producers get fruity on on some end of the spectrum there because yeah and i think too much specificity is really problematic too Mm -hmm. because it 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 doesn't allow for any wiggle room or any you know organic spontaneity to happen i've worked with artists that have every little specific thing in their head before we walk into the studio and they're not happy until it sounds exactly like that and right. then you're just like, this is boring. You know what I mean? We're not allowing something to grow on its own. Mm-hmm. To an extent, I think that. So, so I uh, feel that Aaron hasn't... I feel like from doing the label podcast and everything else that a lot of people say, Aaron Sprinkle, he's that legend from Tooth and Nail. He's done all this production. He's had a solo career. He's got all this stuff. Where has he been? What's he been doing? I feel like mm-hmm. I want to talk about that Spotify article for sure in the future, yeah. and I wanted to get into it here. But before we do that, yeah. you've undergone so much personal change that could fill up many episodes on yeah. very small and narrow topics. But just in a general way, for yeah. somebody who hadn't seen any work from Aaron Sprinkle or he doesn't seem to be producing records uh, like he used to or often or what's going mm-hmm. on, like what, what has happened to that Aaron Sprinkle that was having so much output in a certain scene uh what would that be five or six years and and before but but before he even does that can i talk about something that doesn't change yeah go ahead (laughs) uh my love of brooklyn in oh never gonna change (laughs) zero chance it will change i just moved all my brooklyn in sheets and my comforter uh and towels from charlotte north carolina to Champaign, Illinois, because they are one of my favorite companies ever. You've probably heard us talk about Brooklinen before. Seriously, they're the home of the Internet's favorite sheets. But their towels, they are so amazing. I, no joke. I, I, I couldn't be more happy with my sheets and my comforter, but my Brooklinen towels, if, you, if somebody tried to come in my house and take everything, I'd let them take everything but those because I love them that much. Seriously, they give your daily routines... A little something extra, and with a varying with varying levels of plushness, the towel of your dreams is waiting to wrap you up. And with all this extra time at home, it might be nice to invest in a little extra softness and absorbency. That is what I'm talking about. When you can't go different places, we you know we got this Rona and all this stuff. Why wouldn't you kind of make a spa in your own house? I mean, you can do that. Seriously, I've been, I've been looking for ways to turn my bathroom into a miniature spa into a miniature spa. And Brooklyn and Towels have been helping me to find my zen. And I love, okay, I have three kids. I go to the shower to get away. <laughs> That's my escape. And I love getting out with that. I mean, I take a nice hot shower. I stay in there, you know, hour and a half, two hours. 
And then I get out and just love drying off with my Brooklyn sheets. So let me just tell you right now, Brooklyn is the perfect place to find all the comforts for home, including ultra soft towels. They're so confident in their product that everything comes with a lifetime warranty. That's a lifetime, yes, lifetime warranty. So use promo code BADCHRISTIAN for 10% off your first order at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. Now, speaking of things that change, Aaron, do you even remember Matt's question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Around uh, it, well, 2012, I moved to the Nashville area from Seattle. What precipitated that? So the years before that, you were working at the Compound Studio, producing yeah. records primarily mm-hmm. for Tooth, Tooth and Nail, Nail the yeah. studio that Brandon mm-hmm. owned. And mm-hmm. in those last two or three years, I was there at that studio at yep. the same time. We were working together on many, many projects. And then, yeah, from there, what happened? Well, I kind of saw such a huge shift in the way that my business model and revenue stream and just everything was shifting a lot. And I was pretty burnt out too. I had been basically living in that studio for over 10 years and um, had gotten to the point where I needed a change, needed some sort of shift. And so... I moved out to, to Nashville area, um, and I won't go in. I'm not going to go into all of the ins and outs of why we ended up doing that. Um, there's a bunch of reasons, but um, went through a really painful transition once I got here of basically trying to um, focus on songwriting, which you know I had a friend. Uh, kind of managing me at the time as a producer, songwriter person. And he really encouraged me to pursue songwriting outside of production, which I hadn't done. You know, I had something like 200 cuts on records, but they were all within the context of producing an album. So that's like the the dream, like move to Nashville and do co-writes on songs, that that kind of thing. Yeah. So it seemed like it made sense. Um, And the first thing I did was a couple like kind of um, Christian market co-writes. Um, which um, I felt the literally the most dirty that I've ever felt doing <laughs> anything in my entire life. Well, you've you done a bunch of co-writing with with uh, bands that that you produced. I mean, in, yeah, in, in in a lot of ways. There's songs on albums that we did that you just wrote, and then yeah. the artist put on there. So it's something you've yeah. been doing for a while. Yeah, but these were like. I was in a room with two, you know, two great, great people. I'm not dissing the people that I was writing with or anything, but it was these kind of rights where they're like, hey, this, you know, there's some people looking for a, a hit, a Christian radio hit. And I don't, I've never listened to that kind of music. I s- sincerely, it's not like a snob thing. I'm not saying that to be cool, but I literally couldn't tell you if you played me the top five most famous Christian bands of all time, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you who they were by listening to them. But anyway, it was just so upsetting to try to write these songs. It was just the worst thing. And I felt so gross and the songs were stupid and I never even finished them, you know. And uh, and then and then I kind of started doing, I found some people doing pop, right? 
which I actually really like doing. Um, and we did some of those, but it kind of just turned out that there was like about, you know, eight million people that moved here at the same time to do the exact same thing. Cause it was mm-hmm. Toby around did right after that too. Yeah. It was Moved around the time when, I, when people that. stopped buying music and just everybody's, you know, revenue stream was shifting dramatically, kind of like right now, but in mm-hmm. a different way um, and not quite as quickly. But um, so I went through this painful process of all that and a bunch of personal stuff of kind of coming back around to basically doing the same thing I was doing in Seattle, but on my own out here, which is, you know, working with artists and producing records. And, and that, and, and then I had a short little run of that back out here. That was really awesome. Like I did some really great stuff that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, the story of the year record and I did a newfound glory record mm-hmm. and, um, you know, started on the, that first, you know, did that first acceptance record back, you know, and, you know, just a bunch of stuff. But it, it was more of a hustle than before because I didn't have guarantee. Like, I kind of had built-in work working with Brandon. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little more stressful. But um, eventually I just got really burned out on that, too, because, you know, we've talked about this before, Matt, but I'm doing records that in this weird context where the budgets are lower and there's less chance of it recouping and making anything on the back end because people mm-hmm. don't buy stuff anymore. So it's kind of like, well, remember how you used to get paid an okay amount and you could afford an assistant and a studio and you would be guaranteed to make some money on the back end. Well, now we can't pay you as much and you probably won't make anything on the back end. Right. So I end up doing all the work myself. Yeah. You know, working just these ridiculous amounts of hours to where if you actually add up the hourly wage I was getting on some of these records, it was like... I might as well work at Starbucks, literally. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, and so even when you're doing Acceptance Story of the Year, Newfound Glory, it's for less and less money. Yeah, I mean, you know what's funny? It's like the the records that were independent with artists that were somewhat established actually had better budgets than some of the label stuff that I did. Yeah, Um, yeah. But anyway, I ended up getting burnout. I was feeling like I was either going to do something really drastic, like change, like totally change careers or something. Like I just didn't know what to do. And then my friend, my acquaintance really at the time, I'd only met him a couple times. Micah Sannon came, you know, reached out to me and said, hey, you know, could I, could we meet up for lunch? I just have something I want to bring up to you. And um, through that, I ended up taking a full-time like actual job as a composer at Soundstripe. Um, okay. So Soundstripe is, uh, and that's what you've been doing for a while. It's, it's very fascinating. It's kind of like a, uh, I don't know how they say it, but I think of it like a uh, music licensing thing that's kind of like Netflix where you pay and you can use any of the compositions. They have a big library of compositions and you can use them license-free in your film or commercials. Is, it, is that a dis- good description of it? Yeah, so the, it's a catalog of a lot of music and a lot of different styles, and they're incredibly, like, just amazing at picking, you know, the people that they work with, and even down to the songs. The, cur- the curating of their catalog is really something I haven't really heard before. And uh, you, it's a monthly subscription, uh, 
with an unlimited access, unlimited licenses, and unlimited um, and and their lifetime licenses too. It's not like you have to keep the subscription up for the license to be active. Yeah, and this good music where they're paying people at your level and people, you know, Stephen Keach and people like yeah. that. People we yeah, know. I work that with work some, there. I work with some awesome. of the most incredible people I've ever yeah. worked with in my life. Where, like as far as music goes, there. Um, awesome people, awesome environment, awesome community, um, and. There's this different element of, uh, you and I have also talked about this before, but when I had kind of did some soul searching, I was going through some painful stuff with this big transition before this, I realized like what what it came down to when you whittle down, what it is am I looking for with music or with anything I'm doing? And that's for it to be useful. Like I just want it to be useful. Like I want what I'm creating to not be in vain, for lack of a yeah. better term. I, I say and, the word valid for that reason. Not like I yeah. seek validation, but the validity of yeah. the thing created has to prove that it was useful or valid to someone. Yeah, totally. To and external. useful can can yeah. look a lot of different ways. Like, you know, for my personal music, useful falls in the category of people are connecting with it and it's somehow enriching their human experience by listening to it. Mm-hmm. But with this, you know, it... It's it's different than making records that people buy or listen to. You're making a piece of of art that another artist is going to use to further express what they are trying to make. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly filmmakers. A lot of podcasters actually use the service as well. But it's mostly filmmakers of all types using your music to in their film productions and it's really really gratifying and really fun and the big shift for me was I went from spending 25 plus years of primarily trying to absorb connect and realize the vision of other artists to now I am primarily making my own stuff mm-hmm. so I'm basically not like officially making Aaron Sprinkle solo record music but I'm making my own music for a job Mm-hmm. Um, which is really cool. And I've got like, th- I think 12 or 13 monikers that I work under um, at Soundstripe of all these different genres and different collaborations. That You've I've done a lot of electronic. I do a ton of electronic stuff. And I've got like a band with my friend Adrian that I sing in and a band with Keech that we've only done one song now, but we're going to, I think in September, we're going to do another, e- we're going to do an EP, which is really cool. Um, it's called Books on Tape. It's just fun. He Sweet. does like the music mostly and I sing, but it's really Stephen rewarding Keech and really from fun. The day. And, yes. He's, he's one of the like eight I think there's eight of us that are actually full-time staff composers, and he's one of them with me. And So doing but, all that stuff t- kind of takes – I mean, doing that kind of stuff has kind of pulled you away from being the Aaron Sprinkle with the Aaron Sprinkle solo albums and Fair and, you know, Rose Blossom. Well, yeah, thing, everything though. always pulled me away from that. I've never had the time or resources to put towards my music, and I actually feel like I do. I have that more now than I did before. And that's why we the played space. that song. Yeah, the so space. That's, that, so we're almost all called up now. Yeah. So now we're into this new environment where that's your story, history, and past, where you've done basically it all uh, from production to composing to being a front man and everything. And now here we are in this total shift into 
completely new territory mm-hmm. of how to release music. And we come to the, just the general question, which you asked me recently um, in an advice sense, what mm-hmm. is there to do with new music? And you've got yeah. this new music that's going to come out and is already coming out of you that's terrific, and it fits very much in the category of what I think people will care about. But what to do with it, how to release it, how to think of it is all territory that's just wide open to me so yeah. i thought it might be best for us to all just start exploring Absolutely. that um and thinking about technology and everything and so just just being on this podcast and we'll have you back and stay in communication i'd like to help see through your music to get released in whatever form and whatever ways that is but it's quite unclear to me it's not as if i yeah, have a plan i appreciate that well another caveat just as we transition into this is i also find myself for the first time since 1993 without a record deal or a publishing deal. And is that good or bad? Well, it feels like a huge opportunity that I've been working towards. Mm-hmm. It feels like I have this freedom now to, I don't have to play by any specific rules. I don't have to make money off of it even. Like I need it to not lose money and I would right. like to have it make enough money to where I could continue to do it, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not, it doesn't have to be my primary source of income, I should say. And so there's this massive freedom. But with that freedom, once I got to this place and I even started making this record, I realized, well, what am I going to do with this? I don't even know what to do with it. Like, I think I have a little bit of a, uh, an idea of what my people want from me, but I don't even know how to get it to them and how to make them aware of it. And I have an idea. I'm not, like, completely ignorant of the different possibilities but once you have these many possibilities in front of you it's harder to choose when you you have a label doing whatever they do even if it's shit and you just can bitch about it that's easier than having every option and not knowing which one to choose Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean yeah there's people that think fundamentally that their instagram account is their primary form for instance now Mm -hmm. and then other things are downstream from that which i think is quite a good. I mean, I like that idea, to be honest. I don't know how to fit to it. And I, it's very unclear to me what any of the technologies are and how to use them. And I love that f- feeling. It's not good for money in the near term, but it means that pioneering is on, in the future for many, many people. So I think we'll see a big phase change or continue to see that. And then we'll see patterns emerge where people... It makes a lot of sense down the yeah. road. It, feel, it really does feel like this is the most time. Maybe maybe it's been around for a while, but just maybe more. Uh, uh, it's been more subjective or whatever. But you know, just or uh, it applies differently to each band. But uh, for example, you know, I love TikTok. Do you know how many singers and songwriters are on there? And if you're good, you get people to watch you, and it works. And then you might actually get some money from like an advertising thing or whatever. Maybe a, an amp supports you or a, a guitar pedal or somebody, you know, you get, you do a commercial or you do like, I mean, there's real ways to make money now outside of just only selling your music. It actually, you can create content now, create, you know, art. And then people go, Oh wait, lots of people are interested in this. What if we could slide into an, an advertising thing? Now I know some people would say that diminishes the art or whatever. I don't think so. I think you have to Mm -hmm. realize if you are going to put your music out there and want to get income from it, then you have to realize that you are a business. That's that's one of the things Mm -hmm. I've always thought about Emory that we kind of realized early on. Wait a minute. If we are trying to become, you know, a real band that does tours and sells music, 
then that means we're a business. So I think there, but now there's a whole new, uh, a million new outlets that are coming yeah. through where you, you're attached to video or your personality, or it's more about you and, and you have more control. All those people on TikTok have a lot of control right now. And they're all probably thinking, oh, if I could get to assigned to a label or, if, yeah, you know, yeah. oh man, and know. this would that, but no, well, wait yeah. a minute, you already and, have yeah. it. You just don't know. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, feel good because the, where people the, are more the, out of touch. The idea with that there is now. that <laughs> if you sign to some label, they're going to really help you. No, you're helping them. Yeah. Most of what people seek is validation externally, and that's different than yes. what Sprinkle and I are saying. The va- validation, the art itself can be validated by its experience in other people. That's all. There's no you. You don't get validated right. by somebody signs you or gives you money or uh, your podcast gets ads on it. That doesn't make it valid. It's valid right. based on the experience of the people receiving it. Is a, is enough to warrant its continued creation. And then you right. have to solve money problems and distribution problems. Is the way yeah. I, I look at that. But right now, my my, I'm tempted with all this. You know, with reading this article about the Spotify CEO and all this stuff, I'm tempted to respond to that by scaling my expectations way down to fit within a reasonable model of what my people want from me and what I could expect from them. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I'm tempted to do. Yeah. And then if it gets bigger than that, then count that as a bonus. That's, mm-hmm. that's how I... Be- that's where my brain goes with this stuff. It's like, I know that my, I, you know, and I'm fortunate to have some people that are probably sort of within reach via social media. Um, mm-hmm. I know that the way algorithms work, I have to do some, you know, fidgeting with stuff to actually get it visible to them. But, you know, I know what they probably most of them want, and I'm not under the delusion that I'm going to go and get some song that's going to blow up on TikTok and get, 20 million Spotify streams or whatever. And mm-hmm. well, but I also don't want to be lazy. I don't want to go, well, what if I wouldn't have done that? What if I would have, you know, aimed, been a little more ambitious and aimed a little higher? You know, yeah. um, what if I played the game a little bit? What could, what would happen? I love that attitude, but it all, it all hinges on, I, I totally agree that you should shoot big, not small. Uh, but I also like the mentality of temper and expectations, too. But the point of what you're saying there is if you played the game a little, and I find it com- to be completely critical to name the game. That yeah. is the, ga- the game is to name the game, yeah. you know, in a meta sense. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about this Spotify article, which is, I think, quite controversial and mm-hmm. just the beginning of much controversy. I see this as, here we go kind of a thing, not just this one article. Yeah. Um, but I think you're going to see this play out in a bunch of interesting ways. And I have a, a counter, uh, into a, a counter, not normal, a contrarian view of the, than it seems most musicians have on. I'm curious how you guys come down on it. But if you haven't seen the article, um, it, there's an article that Daniel Eck from Spotify uh, was quoted in where he's talking about how the old way of doing music where artists release every three or four years 
years put out an album is not going to work and you have to be constantly i mean i don't know toby can you read some of that article you're good with reading and pulling quotes out of stuff like that i sure but can I'll, if you let me it, let me pull it up take but. your time pull it up and i'll try to summarize it but um there's been a ton well, of I was reaction say, to while it. i'm pulling it up what if you told some folks about something that you can count on like policy genius well friend. you know what that's a great idea <laughs> because things you can count on are very very important in in this life you can't count on much but you can count on policy genius with everything going on right now a lot of people are asking if it's even possible to buy life insurance at all and you know what that's exactly what i thought at the beginning of the pandemic was holy shit i don't have life insurance and i bet you i can't get it and i bet you the whole world's about to fall apart but the answer was yes it turns out that i had heard it on podcasts uh policy genius they were not a sponsor of the show but i had simply heard it on their podcasts i went to the site i could not believe it. it was so easy to shop for the insurance they really did everything um and I was totally able to do it. And it's it's very easy. And if you have loved ones dependent on your income, you probably should do it too. Right now, you can save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Uh, when you're shopping for a policy that could last for a decade or more, those savings, they really do add up. Now, what is Policy Genius? If you still want to know, it's an insurance marketplace built and backed by a team of industry experts. And here's how it works. Step one. You head to policygenius.com, and in minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find the best price. Step two, you apply for the, your lowest price. Step three, the Policy Genius team, who is terrific and responsive, handle all the paperwork and red tape so you're not dealing with those companies that you're getting the good deals and quotes from. Policy Genius does the work for you. It's not the insurance company. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application, they take care of everything. They even have policies which allow eligible customers to skip the in-person medical exam and do it over the phone. Uh, that kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across and across over 1,600 views on Trustpilot and Google. So if you need life insurance, head to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save $1,500 or more a year by comparing quotes on the marketplace. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Okay. So, yes, we're getting this article. My basic summary of it is that the Spotify CEO, Daniel Eck, is saying that you have to record and put out music more often and keep constant engagements with your fans. Yeah, he um, says you can't record music once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough. And unsurprisingly, this is from uh, BrooklynVegan.com, but uh, a, lot of a lot of artists are pretty upset about it, including musicians like David Crosby, who wrote on Twitter, you're an obnoxious, greedy little shit, Daniel Eck. <laughs> <laughs> And then My Mike Mills from REM wrote, music equals product and must be churned out regularly, says billionaire. You know, so. My favorite <laughs> one was, did you see the, it was, it's the Twitter account fucked up. I'll never forget when my dad sat me on his knee and showed me his dusty old vinyl record collection. He pulled out Daniel X Q2 2020 results LP. It was a magical <laughs> moment. It was a magical moment we shared and why I became a musician. Whenever I hear audio first focus come on the radio, I think of my dad. <laughs> Nico K said, uh, this bitch has nothing to say to musicians. He keeps our royalties. Yeah. That was her, right. her comment. Um, yeah, almost every, I mean, you know, there's no shortage of 
prominent artists talking about it, and there's no shortage of every opinionated, in my opinion, wannabe musician who loves to always take shots as much as possible at both right. all billionaires and also uh, Spotify for the royalty situation, which is quite complicated. And I will say right off the get-go that my understanding of Spotify's existence is that they made deals with the big, what I consider to be big, evil global corporations in the first place to secure all the rights and did some inside yeah. deals to get control of all that stuff, which yeah. I think very negatively of. I, I, I think of music as a product in a very negative light. I think it's unfortunate that music is, is a product at all, personally, um, but maybe a necessary evil to some degree. But nonetheless, I understand that that came out of the music industry stuff, uh, but on the other hand, here I I I I'm having a lot of trouble with the 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 what he's saying, what the people's reactions is to what he's saying here. Yeah. Um, I think there's a big gap in between the reality and and what you get points for saying on social media. That's kind of mm-hmm. how I come to this um, thing. But I'm curious how you guys react to it at all. Like, how do you see this? I mean, I well, think there's more to qualify about what he said in context as well. Yeah. The, so. The problem here for me is that Spotify's ability to exist and completely transform the way people consume music is because of a broken system that has been there for, you know, a hundred years or whatever. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the music business as we know it is built on harmful exploitation of yes. artists. Yeah. See, that's how I fundamentally see this. I'm not trying to make it a false dichotomy, but to me, it seems like, and I've noticed this since the whole beginning of the pandemic, everybody, mostly what I see online is people talking about save the venues, music this and that, you know, the road and crew people. And it seems like people romanticize music so much that the systems of it that are maybe old school are sought to be preserved in a way, um, versus the future of where the thing is going. And I find mm-hmm. that a little funny because I'm not saying that this billionaire is a great guy, but the whole history of the music business was terrible. It was well, terrible five years ago. It was terrible last year. Yeah. It was awful and exploitative. That's it's what it is. Here's the thing. So it's the, not like the, you want to go back? No. Well, the, here, here's the thing. The posture has been for a long time, we are going to do you a favor by working with you yeah. as an artist. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to do you a favor by releasing your music and making you famous and putting you on the radio or p- booking your show or letting you open for it, whatever it is. And that's, that's a deception. That's a lie. Because what we're saying is you're going to do us a favor by generating a bunch of money of which we're going to give you a very small percentage of. So that's just the basis of it, right? But the problem with this, with Spotify and Daniel Ek and the model of how it worked is there two things that I see. One is just when you think, think things couldn't get any worse, he got them to be way worse. In you know what, what I mean? Well, just when you thought artists weren't getting paid enough for their music, mm-hmm. he made them get paid even less for their music. You know what I mean? And that's that's really hard to swallow. Now, I also have an understanding that the reason that he was even able to start this and it was be, be able to, to become what it was is because of super shady licensing deals with the mm-hmm. major labels that 
were in this gray area where the, the contracts didn't specifically specify royalties from streaming because it wasn't a thing yet when the verbiage was written for those contracts. So they were able to sort of get money as licensing fees and divert royalties to the artists. Yes. So, you know, Spotify's overhead is actually massive. If you look at the numbers, their overhead is huge because they're paying these astronomical licensing fees that are completely... To Universal Music Group. That are completely arbitrary, too. They're not right. federally mandated rates. They're just like, Universal Music Group can just say, you owe us this much for this much record for this long of a time. This right. is whatever deal that's they can whatever make. They want. But that's but that's that's what Daniel is forced to work with. It is. So so there, there has to be he an is ability. a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, but so. it's not... I mean, it takes... Okay, to, to me, that's the playing field that he has had to enter. Is the they own the rights to Metallica and ACDC and Pink Floyd? I mean, he has to. Or anybody yeah. that's going to be in the space is going to have to work with them. And they are still yeah. the evil force that takes most of the money in a shady deal that yeah. he had to make. But I'm not defending him because I know he's just a billionaire. But at least his stuff goes into R and D and stuff like increasing the pie. He said in that article. Uh, he says, quite interesting that while the overall pie is growing and more and more people can partake in that pie, we tend to focus on a very limited set of artists, he said, mm -hmm. referring to the street people that complain about, you know, like we've talked about. He said, even in our marketplace today, millions and millions of artists, he said, what tends to be reported are the people that are unhappy, but we re very rarely see anybody talking about... Um, I'm happy with all the money I'm getting from streaming. He says, you never see that mm -hmm. uh, stating that that publicly, but in private, that's done many, many times. It's just in public, they have no incentive to do so. But unequivocally, yeah. from the data, there are more and more artists that are able to live off live streaming and music income itself. So there's a narrative fallacy here, he says, combined with the fact that obviously some artists that used to do well in the past may not do well in this future landscape where you can't record music once every, now we drop into the quote, yeah. every three to right. four years and think that's going to be enough, which are the, <clears throat> you know, and then we get into romanticizing the old school and you're just, then he's saying there's these big powerful artists that want to just sit back on their heels and make music every three to four years and be catered to and be as rich as they used to be. That's how right. he's looking at it. Meanwhile, yeah. more and more people than ever are making money off streaming and have full-time music income that never could have before. That's well, the, his point the, of view. The problem with this is that the people who need to be making money from streaming are the ones primarily whose labels are not getting licensing fees. No, Spotify is not paying licensing fees for your music, mm -hmm. right? So, but the, royal, the streaming rates are not offset for you. You have to pay a streaming rate based on the arbitrary, massive licensing fees that Spotify has to pay to these huge mm -hmm. major labels. Right. So they're not chain. They're not saying, "Well, you're an independent artist, so we're going to give you way more per stream." Right. We're not. Right. We're going to actually say this is how much we make per month in subscription fees. This is our operating overhead. You know, for independent artists, if there was like, a, let's say, a separate wing of Spotify that was just for independent artists, and they could somehow quantify what people's were you know we're paying and listening to but you know there probably is really difficult to figure out how to do that right it's probably really uh, 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 impossible to do mm -hmm. that right so i think probably the only thing that could ever fix this which i honestly don't think ever will is if there was no licensing fees 
Yes, I, that's what I'm saying. If, if the they major just labels would turn over the catalog, I'm they, not saying they he could would just, give all the money Spotify to artists could naturally. Just play but. anything like a radio station could play anything. Yeah, and pay a certain amount of money if it gets played to the people that need that you know that own the mechanical and right. And, you know, but licenses. isn't that maybe possible more in the long run? I mean, in my narrative, it's still the old school industry who is the ultimate bad guy and this guy i'm not saying is a hero i just i really don't think that but for instance he's in he his one of his goals in 2018 is to get millions to get a million artists making a living off of music that sounds like a good goal and they're quite working toward it absolutely the top 10 percent of of spotify's money do you know how many people it goes to you have a guess the top 10%, and you know how much money that is, a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. The top 10% of it goes to 43,000 different artists. Meaning, there's 43,000 artists making yeah. a shitload of money. Yeah. Now, that's not right. nothing compared to how many total artists there are, but that's quite spread out. Well, there's you your know? problem right there. There's too many damn artists. Well, okay, but that's Come not <laughs> that's not his problem though. That's what I'm saying. These new artists are the ones making money, but they're not they're not out there herald. You know, they, they stay quiet about it. But there's people having careers now. I, yeah, if no, you're some know, old band and the yeah, major label is your back catalog, and they take eighty percent of the Spotify small cut. Yeah, you're going to complain. Yeah, right. and you're going to say you know get social media points for slamming the billionaire, but. There's tons of people that are putting out music all the time and succeeding in new ways and making money. And that's well, a, he's an it was 30,000 uh, two years ago. Two, in two years, yeah. 13,000 more people. He's an, he's an easy target, right? He's, yeah. He seems out of touch with art and music. <laughs> Just I mean, he's a technologist. He's a bit of a capitalist. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. And, and he is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And he's a billionaire because of a platform where he sells the ability to listen to a bunch of poor artists music you know so he's an easy target from but that we sense. make more than ever before because of it though i don't know another way to say that other people yeah get no, mad at I me mean, for saying some, so, i know some people that do I, I have i have i have made enough to buy a white elephant gift from spotify <laughs> seriously like but i'm not you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that. I uh, mean, how much did you but, ever make before on like record sales money, though? You know, I mean, there's advances well, from time to time and earlier. I made royalties time periods, on record but, sales that were pretty great at some points, but um, that was that was where that was a long time ago. You know? well, that was when CDs were sixteen dollars, maybe. Yeah, but, but um, and when stupid Christians were buying stupid CDs at well, yeah, but Christian that was you know, I mean, that's just some <laughs> other system that's flawed or whatever but i mean our back catalog for instance gets worth more each year because it's more accessible to more people so our checks just go up now the couple thousand dollars we get unfortunately that's the money we get from universal music group who's keeping giant checks and getting our our cut yeah yeah, that's like one tenth of what they get on on walls the music the money that walls generates every quarter which keeps going up and they get most of it and then the amount that we get still is going up so the pie is expanding and the new opportunities are there is going to be weird on this because i'm a producer primarily i'm a songwriter so my you know some of this is has to do with me having bad contracts maybe bad Mm -hmm. producer deals with artists or whatever i will say one thing is one of my Aaron Sprinkle solo songs 
has 1.2 million streams on Spotify. And that seems pretty sweet. I know it's not, like, incredible. But that's a lot to me. It's mm-hmm. a lot to me, yeah. yeah. And I don't think that I've made basically any money off of that. But somebody has made money off of that. It's not you. That's right. Yeah. But it's more the, the rights holders of it, not necessarily. Yeah, Daniel so this Lynch. is a systemic problem. It doesn't just it's not just Spotify. If you know, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if Spotify said, That's it, starting in twenty twenty one, we're not paying any more licensing fees. And if the music gets taken off our catalog, then deal with it, you know, and just kills the, the you know, would the major labels even exist if they weren't yeah. getting these streaming licensing fees? Like maybe they just all go out of business and then we could start over, but that's well, that but happen. isn't this a version of starting over that new artists won't ever do that? Yeah. So eventually, okay, it'll all be fine. Eventually, well, new yeah. artists won't new artists won't have to pay a label, right? So they're right. That's what I'm saying. They'll, they'll get more. And there's percentage. tens of thousands of them every year but, that start making more and more money with no label. So the, yeah. they'll. But be this fine. is eerily similar to the conversation of tax the billionaires. It really does feel like right. Like uh, I mean, the really big bands, the Taylor Swifts of the world. She's getting way more money than the singer-songwriters that are struggling, and, but she's not going to give up her percentage because she would say, oh, the label has my money, so I'm going to take my money. But yeah, like sure. Aaron was just talking, I mean, if Spotify said, hey, we want to give smaller artists, not the 43,000, not the top 10%, we want to give the, you know, the other 90% more money, Top forty, but you know, top ten percent. Would you take less? They're not going to do that either. No, of course and, not. And I understand why. I'm not even totally. saying they're bad because of that. They worked their ass off and they got, they did a lot, and they deserve every penny they get. But the problem is the system, like y'all are saying, it is systemic. How you can't get out of it. But well, but to go after <laughs> Daniel Eck, like Aaron said, is easy. But if because you looked at the, if you looked there's at a bunch all of the label money. heads that have been around for decades and decades and decades. And they are collecting money off of even our small band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like if, a lot. But we have to think about the way they worded this. Ten percent of the of the money is going to forty three thousand artists, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how much is the money? Like, how much? What percentage of that money is the percentage of the 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 revenue that Spotify is bringing in? True. Yeah. So right. that that's right. a huge metric that has to be considered here. In that mm-hmm. sense, those that those forty three thousand probably should be getting way more money than they're even getting. Yeah, no doubt right? about that. I mean, I, you know, I'm just saying there's. I'm trying to split the difference here, and not defend a billionaire or Spotify yeah, right. itself, because it makes me quite nervous that they may be able to simply dominate podcasts and media and entertainment and impose their will in a Jeff Bezos way. Yeah, you know, I understand that analogy, and that is right. the fear that people are responding to, which why it makes it a good social media slam because. We all can feel that our tech overlords have control of our lives in ways that, that oh, piss us off. Totally. But I'm trying to point out a slightly different issue because we, now we've gone past that. We, we like that we don't like gatekeepers, right? When I think about right. the music industry, I think fucking gatekeepers, evil forever. And even the yeah. pandemic makes me happy that those people are suffering. Even I, and that might sound rude, but I feel that way. Um, now. What Spotify does is less gatekeeping. You can just make X ambient music, gets on playlists. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like for right. instance, yeah. uh, Lowercase Noises and King's Kaleidoscope, both very successful just directly. They both make great money because they make great music and people listen to it and it's very mm-hmm. good. I'm not even saying they're happy with Spotify. They're not, neither one of them. But that is the case. 
still in a way that there was no gatekeeper involved. On the other side of the fact that we have no gatekeepers is why it's so f- the market. That's why we all complain that there's too many bands right now, yeah. which we all think, right? Right. Well, that's the flip side. So now, when we talk about oh, the musicians should be able to make more money, all of a sudden, all I see is a bunch of people who are not very talented, not very driven, with their Venmo address streaming all the time. And you know, what I'm talking. I'm not talking about everybody, but you know what I mean. There's a t- everybody thinks they are. Well, I have a guitar and I stream myself, therefore I deserve an income because mm. there's no gatekeeper. And so if that's right. who we have to split the pie with, I don't agree to that either. You know, like, yeah. I, I, you know, I kind of have a slight issue there. I'm not trying to say who is talented and isn't. That's not my job. Yeah. But it's not, I don't, just because somebody claims that they're a musician and deserves a salary really pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, that bothers me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that I have expressed and voiced some strong opinions about some stuff in this hour that we've been talking and i really don't really know that much about this stuff like i <laughs> like i'm 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 saying a lot about stuff that i probably really don't even know there's so it's so much deeper mm-hmm. and so much more complex and complicated and that's why i asked you that's why i called you and said hey matt i you guys have been putting music out independently for a minute i'm about to i guess try to do this what should i do cuz i don't know um I don't really know what what to do. I use Spotify every day. I don't do even. Like I don't it? know what I would do without like Spotify. Glad for it. What? I don't Are know you... what I would do without it. Yeah. Right. I mean, now just I as a resource either. for. You know, I'm working on a song. And I'm like, good? ooh, like what? If, oh, it reminds me of this thing. I'm gonna go listen to that song and right. and like. Oh, I'm the feel, access man, that you're I forgot available about to that is album so and just bam that, in my it, car. I'm listening to it. It's and the that best impulse thing ever. and lack of resistance does generate economic revenue for that artist that you thought of. Yeah, that was a result of what yeah. is there. It's so but, cool. But only, I mean, I'm no billionaire lover. I'm not. I don't. Right. I don't. It's not on capitalist terms that I defend it. But it it lines up exactly with where Toby and I are, and what my tendency impulse is to tell you about your music and what to do is. Yeah. Do it. Do more of it. Do it all the time. But yeah. to me, that's what we've been doing. We're doing doing a song every week, and it's not because my tech overlord says you have to to make your living. No, we yeah. don't even make any money doing it. It's just yeah. I love doing it. I it, it's a thrill to me to be able to do music week in week out as a discipline. I've been working on music about yes, two or three hours every that. six or seven nights a week. I love that. And I, I, I didn't used to do that for so, so long. And now that I'm doing it, the output happens to be, oh, shit, we have new music all the time, which is quite exciting and refining, and I'm getting better, and I'm more engaged with my fans. And then Danielette comes up and says, that's what you ought to be doing. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry to, to agree with him, yeah. but I do. Well, well the thing well, is, well, is I, yeah, I am apprehensive about that because I see it as the sacred spiritual thing to put a record out every few years and to put mm-hmm. a complete album out that's thought out and da 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 I but I do understand that that is a very extreme and I'm I'm trying to be more open and less uh just less self-important about it let, let, Yeah, but let, you're let making music constantly, bit. Aaron. I mean, you are yes. constantly making Yeah, you're I one mean, of the people that day. makes music yeah. every day. I mean, yeah, you make every it single every single day almost. That that's yeah. the thing but I'm I think trying that to make where I, my where solo I push stuff back special. on other artists like David Crosby saying, uh, what did he write? Uh, you're an obnoxious greedy little shit, Daniel Eck. That the that's idea projection. It, it, it probably is probably true. Daniel Eck <laughs> probably is greedy and not a great person. I I get that. But the idea that people wouldn't want 
way more David Crosby music? Of course they would. What? Why wouldn't he be doing way more music? You know, well, like, I like but, yeah. what? It. I understand the process and doing that, but maybe that's old too. Maybe the idea of four years in between records is gone, and yeah. you got to wake up and go. Wait a minute. Why wouldn't I be creating more music? Why wouldn't why I do that stuff a good every thing? day? Uh, the, the same way as most people go to get up and go to work every day and make stuff and do stuff yeah. every single day. Musicians can too. It's not like it's. The I think most- of it like comedy. It should be open. You should be doing three nights a week. If you you know how you hear comedians say, "I only right. did three sets." No, yeah. fucking be better. Be you like music, right? Otherwise, right. I hear David Crosby. I put him in the same category as the major label bigwigs. He's sitting on some IP that's rent seeking value. He's mad because somebody's coming after his. You know he doesn't. You know I'm not. He has some catalog that's super valuable and he wants to protect it that's his point of view yeah, he's a yeah. big wig yeah. not a oh, i'm doing sure. music tonight and tomorrow dude those people right. that's what daniel Eck is saying i think robin hitchcock's bit in there is the most interesting to me because he is someone that has been i don't know if you're familiar with him i'm a huge fan of particularly some stuff he did in the 90s but he is someone that's been grinding it out since before streaming existed you know, mm-hmm. he's just he's just a prolific, incredible performer, songwriter, art painter. He's he's like famous in, in the UK too, like very famous. But he's trying to get his stuff off of Spotify right now. He's mm-hmm. personally trying to literally get it removed because he and and that's the thing is I could say, you know what, this next record I'm doing, Bandcamp only, yeah. physical. And that's and that's I'm just gonna go with that. I'm gonna run with it. I'm gonna have low expectations of what it's gonna cycle through, and that's what I'm gonna do. And that's that I'm gonna live in that space and own it and like it. And that's where I'm gonna interact with people is that way. Or or I could you know do a combination of the two or whatever. And, I totally agree um, with that. I think it's that's the idea is right. if you were a productive musician and I'm just going to put myself in that category but it's only been recently that I've become productive because mm-hmm. I used to hoard creative IP and think the special songs that we make we've got to hide them and get max value on each and that's just that's not that's not the same thing as being a continuous creator Mm-mm. which is a more valuable thing to me now mm-hmm. and so yeah, we put out an album on Spotify every year, but that's just a warm-up. But, you know, I think we're doing tons of songs. I mean, I'm probably going to double the amount of stuff we put on Spotify and also double the amount that we don't put on Spotify. Yeah. Because I don't, I mean, and you can have a whole career with no Spotify, but that's a mm-hmm. very downstream thing to yeah. me. Like, whether or not you put it on Spotify or Bandcamp or whatever mm-hmm. has to come out of the fact that you're always in the discipline of making your art. Like, yeah. it has to be. If you're trying to sit back and get paid, I'm so mad about that. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't Absolutely. be more the problem offended too, yeah. about that. The, the big problem is the money never works out. It doesn't matter. We did uh, bad Christian music, BC music, and we tried to give great deals and to the bands, and everybody, we thought it would be a win-win, and we just didn't make any money and no did money. a shitload of work. Mm-hmm. And so Still worth Sp- it, Spotify did, <laughs> Spotify uh, was all loss, for 13 years, and then they finally mm-hmm. turned a profit. Spotify, yeah. the company, yeah. was losing money every mm-hmm. single year for 13 years. Yeah. And then yep. because of 20, IP squatters. Right. In 2019, mm-hmm. they finally turned a profit. And now, you know, this is what we're talking about the Q2 of this year or whatever. But the point is how do you get music to the masses and support the artists? And there isn't a good way. Artists can't do it. There's, I mean, Spotify as a platform and an app 
and 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 a way to access music is pretty phenomenal. Apple Tunes, mm-hmm. I mean well, iTunes, maybe even uh, what's uh Jay Z's title? Title. I mean, I get it. They did. There's a shitload of fucking work and time that has gone into them, and they've all been. You know, there's all good and bad with both all of them. But I think that's the issue: is that how do, does an artist today decide where to put their music and mm-hmm. If the money is less, is it still better for you? The same way for us. When we came out, the internet was really starting to hit, and if the internet, people didn't download our music illegally, we wouldn't have been able to tour all over the world. People wouldn't have known us. So I played Europe Europe and Mm -hmm. other places because people didn't pay for my music, and then they came to a (laughs) show or something like that. So Yeah, so you don't get to cry victim on that. I know, but but at the same time, it sucks because... What other product do you sell that people can get so easily? If you you know if you're selling toothbrushes, they can't just go on the internet and get the toothbrush for free. Three so that right. sucks. Well, and, yeah, but, but you can't. I mean, you can't. It's not fair to blame somebody else and say what you deserve, though. That's just not a posture that I don't think is reasonable. Like I deserve something I'm not getting compared to other people. And blaming somebody else is never going to help you. It's yeah, just but if, but not going to help you. But if a billion people took your toothbrush that you yeah. made, that you spent well, years developing and making, you go, I think I deserve a little for it. I think you yeah, would. But say one of the that. reasons I love. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But I'm saying I come from a very farther idealistic point of view than I think the rent seeking IP squatters are. And in my real opinion, there should not be any money for the, the music in that way. I don't believe in intellectual property rights. I wish it wasn't protected. I personally, I just, I wish music was not I, even allowed to be a product. I mean, it has to, but I consider that a necessary evil. So yeah, I'm not, right. you yeah. know, I make money on it. I sell it. I would, I would agree with you to some extent about that. But I think going back to the very first thing we talked about when I was attracted as a young child to the product of a mm-hmm. song, the final the product, not necessarily a commercial the, product, but the media product, the, the medium, right, yeah, of the, a recorded yeah. song. One of the reasons that is so attractive is because of how transferable it is, mm-hmm. because of how exactly it's not a toothbrush, it's not a car. That's that the beauty of, of it. It's, yes. it's a thing that you can lose and gain again. Like you could, your CD could scratch, or your record could break, or your tape could be eaten, and you could go get it again, and you and right. it's still there. It's exactly yeah, it's where not it's not stealing just, right. in the same Completely way. Reliable. It's not stealing music. I don't believe that. That's just I don't believe that's true. If I have a song that I contributed to, there is no such thing as a copy that was ever made that I wish didn't get made. No matter what. There is no amount of copies that could be made or shared that I would think I wish it was less, right? Yeah, I mean, I can... How I many can... copies of, of your stuff do you wish didn't exist that people copied and yeah. shared and you wish they had not done that? Zero. To me, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have prevented one single sharing of my music, regardless of whether or not I got paid but, for it. But it really, but but this is still so absolutely. bizarre to me because even step out of music for a minute, Instagram, it's just people putting in real effort and work to create these beautiful pictures or videos, and then Instagram profits off of it, and you do not. But may, maybe some do. There's some. Why do you think you should paid. profit off photos of your kids? Why I does mean, that's Instagram so then? Why does Spotify think you should profit off of it? Well, they're doing the work, and you're just. They're I mean, some all work. I'm saying is they're doing you, some you're work. Doing a, same, but I mean, it, it is work. If to you make think music. photos of your kids and lifestyle, you deserve money for that. Then you're part. I mean, you're part of the sickness. Oh right? yeah, no, I agree. But 
the these apps or these companies influencer. Are, are, I mean, are, that's sick. Are setting that up to hey, prey I'm upon an influencer that. Okay. because you right, and they participate. When you right. think, oh, I'm a creator and I have a million Instagram followers and I demand money, well, they are sick. I mean, like, well, the, they, I mean, then, then the app is sick and it's bad. I mean, yes, it, and you're yeah. you're you're that David Crosby and the major right. labels are that. They're they're those yeah, are and, all and the Spotify and iTunes and all of that. Yeah, stuff, the, for those sure. are the sick parts. That's what I'm saying. I think music I mean, has been around. Wasn't it a few? Was it like a year or two ago where everybody was pushing back because iTunes is doing free uh, trials and not paying the artists for those mm-hmm. free yeah. trials, right? Because they were yeah. like, well, we're not. But I mean, and then they push back. But I'm just saying, if you can't I think just you Daniel can't just demand this music and say it's just the the easiest thing in the world to do and you should do it for free. I, I don't think no, that's true. No, I'm not you saying that. It's a that necessary time. evil, but I have it in the category of evil. I can't help yeah. it. If you think about music for all of human history, it's always been there. It's always been shared. It's always multiplied. Yep. It's always been copied, and it's only been a product for de- decade, a few decades. And in the future, I promise you, it won't be a product. There's a time period window that we are living in right now where music is a commercial product, and it's bad. That's a bad thing. I music think will be around with humans forever, and there'll yeah. be someday it won't be a commercial product. It'll well, just be that's what I'm saying. I think, I think with something like TikTok or iTunes or Facebook, you're seeing it more and more where music will be a component of some content. Yeah, then, I think that's a trend. You'll, I see. Like, uh, it, it's hilarious. To, my kids play Roblox, and I was like, I, I have this. I call it the best, best. I have the best bus mix ever. It's the name of this playlist I have on Spotify, and it's a playlist that I created for our bus when we were on tour. We hadn't, I hadn't got to use it. It's a good mix. It's really good. But I'll play a couple of songs. And my son today was like, "Hey, what's that song?" And he started going with it. And I was like, "How does he know this song?" And it's on Roblox. And so Roblox. You can type in a code and then put that as your background music while you're playing mm-hmm. Roblox. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's wild. There's codes out there. There's these numbers. I don't know if these artists are getting paid. I don't know how really how it works. I don't know. It's some Roblox thing or whatever. But I was like, that's wild because he he was he knew the song better than me. And it was mm-hmm. just some song that I heard on TikTok. But he yeah. heard it on Roblox and it's playing over and over again while he tries to kill whatever he's trying to kill and get collect coins or whatever. Well, artists like, have, so been, wild. have completely this is music exploded. Now. Music isn't... I wonder if, if it means music is now an accessory to something else. Maybe. But I... So, I so. Is, is the work is the work still the music or is that just some component? I don't know what that'll look like in the future. Like, the, mm. create, we're, now we're getting into artists and creation and meaning, if you will, because mm-hmm. I think I, that's, I don't know. That's the like, question. I, I don't. I don't really expect in ten years to put out an Emory record. I put out. I. I, I think I might still be making music now. I, d- I used to not, but I think in ten years I'll probably still will be making music. But it'll be more like an experience, an Emory experience, not an Emory song. That seems mm-hmm. like that's going away. An Emory song seems like or an album thinking. at least. Yeah, I agree. Well, and just the way people consume music, this has been changed so much by this. I think. I mean, yeah. There's got to. I don't know how to if there's data on this, but I feel like music in the background is more of a thing than it used to be. Yeah. Oh, I, totally. I, well, that's what you said. Is and, you do all the soundtrack work listening. And, and that, I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you. No, and that fine. music goes for other stuff. Like it's yeah. a component of mm-hmm. de- of more complex layered art. Yep. So in one sense, I see a bunch of blacksmiths complaining that their wages are being cut or something, while meanwhile 
these steel workers are working to build a railroad yeah. instead. That like it's just something different that you can't picture yet. You're just mm-hmm. scared to lose the old way. I, I mean, that's the way it feels to me. And the the path between now and when it makes more sense in the future is going to be crazy and it's going to be a bunch of fights between people that own bullshit ip and stuff and it'll be hard but we're going somewhere totally different it almost feels and machines and technology is going to be the biggest part of it and it just seems crazy to resist it i mean it's it's just uh, music might just only be sub functions of other things and there may be some aspect in which music is solved as an art form like chess was solved by machines and i think that is a really good possibility that all of the human music that we have right now that survives and i think our music aaron sprinkle acdc emory they might fall out boy they might all just have places in the legacy part of music for permanently that's like the canon of human music in the 21st century it's like that's you might be in that because of technology and it's permanent and the mm. value of the back catalogs might probably going to go up every year from now on well i hope mm. so i mean and and new art is going to be simply functions of more complex art forms that's what the closest thing that well i, see. I think people have been doing that i was listening i was uh, to the podcast the rewatchables you know bill simmons movie podcast mm-hmm. and they were talking about uh it was the, the swingers episode they rewatched the swingers and they were talking about the soundtrack and how important that soundtrack. It was like Big Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and the Squirrel Nut Zippers and all. And it mm-hmm. really, they spent most of their, they said a huge portion of their budget on that mm-hmm. soundtrack more mm-hmm. than the filming of it. The soundtrack meant so much to accentuate mm-hmm. what was happening in video, right? And then they mentioned too that the movie Cruel Intentions, they did the Verve. You know that song? What is that song? Uh, Bittersweet, Bittersweet Symphony. symphony. Yeah. They put mm-hmm. that song at the end, and it, that like made the movie in a way. Yeah. It like, mm-hmm. it, like yeah, because was, it, it punctuated what was happening, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like somebody created something, and then you find it. The same way as like Goodwill Hunting, that soundtrack. That's how oh, I yeah. know uh, oh, yeah. what's his face? Uh, the, Elliot Smith. Uh, killed himself. What's the Elliot Smith? Elliot Smith. Smith. Yeah, and he didn't um, look at Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. as oh, an right. example of like if you don't I know. stack the mediums of stadium rock and cinema comedy, right. then you don't get that cultural moment, which is much bigger than any movie or song. Right. So the but music really does, Wayne's, it, you know. but but it's it's inherently ta- attached to it, intrinsically mm-hmm. attached to it, and that's what I think is kind of neat is that maybe that's where we're headed. That it is. The, the song is super awesome, but you watch it in this form with some content attached to it, and then you might take the song on its own. Like, I mean, after watching Wayne's World, how many times have I listened to Bohemian Rhapsody outside of that? With, and it has so much more meaning, which is times. our ultimate product right, is meaning, right. of course. Right. Not dollars or product or streams or numbers or like. Right. I mean, it's meaning, right? Experience, so. like Aaron Sprinkle says at the beginning, the experience that happens in, to somebody else emotionally through combinations of mediums, you know, in a cultural context is the actual thing you're trying to create, not, you know, just a money. So Aaron thing. is the is the song or we have a to, career. The, the song we listened to at the beginning of this podcast, Impossible, is it on Spotify? Not yet, is it is it gonna be? I mean it will be for sure. <laughs> Hell yes. Yeah. I mean I that's the, the conundrum, like I said, is I use it every day and the thought of the fact is is so I have people that that are fans of my music that will buy a vinyl or a CD or a tape or a digital yeah. that I put out 
and they don't have a Spotify subscription or any streaming. They don't stream music. Right. So to them, it doesn't matter if it is or not isn't on there. Right. That's right? true. So why would I not do both? They're net like yeah, you have to do both. The people that are gonna most of the people that are gonna buy my music wouldn't be affected negatively by it being available on streaming. Yeah, true. It would, yeah, it would I mean, not deter them from buying my music. And then there are people who, like me, like I own a ton of vinyl, but and I listen to that music on Spotify all the time, right? right. And I bought the vinyl. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, I have a lot of strong feelings about a lot of things that I don't really know very much about. And if <laughs> I really, we all are. If I really think, think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to not do both things, like I yeah, was saying I before. Like, yeah, it's I very clear what do... the, the the pathways of the future are, but we, yeah. they have to be new is the only thing I'm trying to say. And I would suggest that there may be a way to look at the artists complaining about Spotify and Spotify as two polarized sides that ne- that both of them are distracting you from reality. As yeah. well. yeah. as, and same both as, of them probably won't last forever. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, those right. are Republicans and Democrats yeah, exactly. uh, pretending to have a fight when the yeah. reality is just... Doing it on the ground They're level. They're both Jeffrey yeah. Epstein. They're both a Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got to go. The, I've been traveling all week, and uh, I'm going to go watch a movie with my wife. On that Sprinkle, thanks for joining us. We're going uh, to keep thinking me. about it. Yeah. I just wanted to do some public brainstorming about how the, love what the territory is and see what shook loose. But we'll uh, you know, stay in touch and figure out what's best for your release. I'm happy to to help in whatever way we can. I know our audience loves it and will oh, be yeah. interested anyway, but we don't yeah. have any call to action or nothing. I just well, wanted to yeah, thank, I mean, like, process. Thanks for having me. If anybody's listening that doesn't follow me on Instagram or Facebook, or I guess Instagram's probably the best place to follow me. And then if you don't follow me on Spotify, if you are a Spotify person, please follow me on Spotify. And you have um, a couple of songs done now and several more written to go to make a full album, so you're in process of making yeah, an album. Some, at no... some point soon I will be announcing some type of either pre-order or crowdfund type of a thing to get the funds, uh, you know, so that I can finish the album and release it, you know, hopefully. But my, my goal is to release it before the end of the year. So. Yep. I think that's quite doable, and I'm very excited about the music because it does feel like a return to something that we hadn't heard in a while cool. in between Fair and Aaron Sprinkle and yeah. Rose Blossom and all that. Yeah. I Thank love you. the music. So. Appreciate it. Let's play a little Appreciate of it on the guys. way out here. Awesome. Thanks, you guys.
breaking down. 